Welcome to Unraveled, the artwork podcast. With me are my co-presenters, Nina Kettiger, Swiss-French artist based in Berlin, and Philippe Indal, writer based as well in Berlin. My name is Bernard Vienal, and I am an art historian, writer, and curator, founder of Artwork. In Unraveled, we talk to artists about their practice and its meaning in contemporary society. We are excited to welcome Chloé de la Rue today. Chloé is a Swiss French artist, and in her installation, she works with such diverse materials as latex, neon lights, small engines, and video. Her immersive works tells the story of a possible post-apocalyptic future, a parallel world in which only faint traces of mankind remain, where an organic structure reproduces independently. After winning the Kiefer Abitzel Prize in 2017, Chloe participated in many group and solo shows in Switzerland and beyond. For more information on her work, as well as some images, check out our website art-werk.ch art-werk.ch At the end of each episode, we review an article suggested by our guest. So stay tuned for Philippine Dal take on Uqui's essay titled On the Anapi Consciousness of Neo-Reactionaries. In the meantime, we are happy to have Chloé de la Rue with us for the first episode of Unravel. Hi, Chloe. We are happy to have you here with us. Hey. I have a couple of questions for you today. Um, the first one I, I was really wondering because I'm following your work since a while. Yeah. And uh, you have a continuous project called TAFA uh, towards a fully automated appearance. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about what does it mean? Yeah, of course. Um, so um, first of um, following my uh, studies, um, I could uh, confront myself to large uh, diversity of practice, uh, but in their uh, say direct expression, uh, it didn't allow me to materialize uh, uh, necessary complex thinking uh, for me at the time uh, where we perceive where is situated uh, I think the biggest uh, aesthetic production uh, that is to say for me the hyper network so um, the the mesh the interwaving uh, appears to me to be uh, a necessity and um, this necessity, uh, it was really in order to, to, to grasp the, the concatenations, the sequences uh, induced uh, by this uh, complex system. So um, since uh, 2015, uh, I decided to produce 
like different typology of works uh, under this acronym uh, TAFA, donc for toward the fully automated appearance. And um, uh, each production is called uh, TAFA, but uh, seconded by a new subtitle for each uh, iteration of the work. For example, the, the, the last one is uh, TAFA Newware Expandable, and there was uh, uh, TAFA Laguna, uh, TAFA Texan Tournament, and so on. Um, so yeah, TAFA is uh, thought like to, to capture the, the instability of uh, our time. And for me, the, this, this reflection under TAFA, under this uh, sort of call, um, is a way of catching, of uh, understanding the, the changes of our cognitivity, of uh, our perception, uh, and its uh, aesthetical translation um, uh, at the time of this tech transition, this uh, time of uh, hyperconnection, this time of uh, um, techno-capitalism and so on. And, um, but this reflection uh, also, I, I, I prefer to see it like under the, the high of um, ontology. Ontology, it's from the verb haunt. Uh, ontology is a, is a neologism uh, first uh, analyzed uh, by uh, Jacques Derrida, the, the French uh, philosopher. Um, it was written on uh, his book uh, called uh, Spectre de Marx. And ontology, it's, uh, it's an ontological manifestation about the trace, uh, visible and invisible, uh, from the past, uh, which is hunting the present. And um, so for me, it's really interesting to consider this uh, visible or invisible trace uh, haunting a temporality, which is the, the present here, but we can also uh, like imagine the, the interwaving between the past with the future or future with present and present with the past, but really under the, the, the prism of uh, this trace. And... Um, but so, actually, yeah, like, if, yeah. I, if I might, if I might just uh, interrupt you here because you are speaking yeah, yeah. about like this time, and I was really thinking that you you work that was in a sense like floating beyond time, and there is mm -hmm. for me this science fiction aspect, and I would like to know like how it inspired your work, and would you say uh, that you are developing in a sense uh, your own science fiction? Ah, oh, yeah. Um... No, for me, um, for, for the science, for the science fiction, I think I prefer see the science fiction really as uh, uh, Ballard uh, spoke about this uh, his work uh, that is to say as the, the social uh, anticipation, and also with their uh, highly sexually loaded technological accident. I think Tafa is really sweet in this load, but um, also I think in my my work. Um, I think it's about uh, the relationship uh, to the multi-temporality that contain and uh, which which instruct the way I produce uh, this uh, theoretical and aesthetical assemblage and and which produce this ambiguous feeling of uh, what we see. Um, I, I use this uh, this sort of uh, image. Uh, to, to speak about Tafa is uh, Tafa, we can see 
uh, has a allegorical uh, entrelieu, a sort of uh, depigmented ghost image uh, of a future already aged before we, we reach it um, and confronting uh, our different senses of perception and uh, leaving us in sort of ambiguity or uncertainty, complexity in face of what we see. But um, Do you think that when you reference Ballard, um, you kind of like anticipate failures of a system or maybe systematic failures from which it's, I mean, it seems in your work that it's impossible to escape them. And I was kind of wondering if uh, there was a form of dystopia in the work that you were hoping to depict in particular, like a kind of a scenario. Um, mm -hmm. And what are you targeting specifically when it comes to those technologies and to yeah the multiplicity of scenarios and technology you're criticizing in the work? Um, yeah, I think I um, I would rather say that I uh, extract from these uh, failures of uh, system some um, like constraints uh, which uh, guide. Uh, aesthetic expression that do not have true or uh, false values, but uh, rather materialize like more than uh, sculpture installation, but really like some environment. Uh, uh, and these environments have to do with uh, that I call a stasis. It's like the stase uh, is this moment in a intermediate suspension uh, that question. Uh, the real, the, the, the reality. And um, um, yeah, for, yeah, compared to the, to the questioning of, the, of the, the scenario, I think the scenario in, uh, in TAFA uh, correspond to like tools that allow me um, sort of infinity of extrapolation from any information record that I glean and uh, combine following my, my research. And they serve me as a, a sort of a fictional perspective um, that catalyzes or precipitate, precipitates. Um, and I, I must constantly find my aesthetic and um, technical solution um, with, with that. And, um, um, and maybe for following this uh, intuition, uh, maybe uh, Uh, compared to the dystopia or thing like that, I think um, I'm not sure we, we can go uh, beyond the idea of uh, entropy uh, used by uh, uh, Smithson, but also I think the idea of the utopian ideal or the uh, dystopia catastrophism um, maybe can serve only as a, like a reference, but never as a, a distillation. But coming back to Tafa, yeah. um, I have the impression when we speak about appearance yeah. that we are speaking more about like the aesthetical part, like this kind of uh, back to beauty. And I would like to know how far it excludes for you a form of fully automated intelligence. Hmm. Uh, yeah, good question. And uh, I think uh, that a fully automated appearance finally can only be produced by a fully automated intelligence. And um, maybe we could ask ourselves the, the question if it's still an intelligence or what typology of uh, intelligence this fully automated uh, is referring to. And 
um, also I, I, I prefer to um, think about that with this uh, um, this notion of uh, artificial imaginaries. Uh, it's not from me, it's from a, a, a Chinese philosopher called uh, Yu Qiu. Um, he writes a, a book uh, called, uh, I don't remember the, the whole title, but it's uh, an essay in cosmotechnics. I think it's a subtitle, but it's a really uh, complex topic about the, the relationship between the imaginary and the artificial imaginary uh, in view of the notion of uh, infinity, which would distinguish the two imagination. And um, I, yeah, I, I cannot really, I, I, I think it's an important large square question, but I cannot reason, resume by myself this essay because uh, first, I prefer not to make <laughs> misunderstanding. It's really like a huge uh, uh, part of reflection. So maybe uh, it's cool to to buy the books <laughs> to go further. And um, um, yeah, I just I could really sense a sense, uh, kind of like a sort of irony in the work. You mm -hmm. know, when I saw a lot of documentation of the work and you know um especially like the disguises and the deformed bodies and mm -hmm. you know it coexists almost in the theatrical manner and i think that i mean it kind of weaves back with this idea of a uh, scenario and this idea of mm -hmm. set design almost and i thought that it must be a bit like a divine comedy like the divine mm -hmm. comedy comedy inferno you know walking through but in like a transhumanist <laughs> kind of world and i was wondering where's the i mean is there hope in the work still and where is the human in the work? What is left yeah. of the of the human? <laughs> yeah, I like uh, the the comparison of the Divan Kamidin from like uh, in a transhumanist world. But um, yeah, I think um, I think uh, finally uh, irony and uh, dark humor. Uh, it's not uh, it's it's not really uh, not pertinent. But you know, to to qualify my relation to the the construction uh, in this part of my work when uh, when you say you know the the waving of uh, technological failures or, uh, or and so on so um, even if at some point when when you are um, like developing uh, uh, a permanent research about this uh, uh, you you can effectively you can unroll in an observation so rude that cynicism or irony or any further um, um, distancing might seem useful to deactivate this feeling of incapacity and uh, exceeding, um, which is referring to this new, I think, circumstance of power, um, which is established uh, at real time. But um, I think it's not so much about failure, but much more uh, to be understood in the term of uh, residue. Um, because these residues are in fact the, the, the counterpart of like uh, success that have been exceeded. And uh, also uh, they are like... So that is maybe actually the very, the human traces right there. Actually, it's all of that. Everything in your work is kind of the human trace of that technology. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's a form of that completely, and um, yeah, it's, you were referencing as well to Robert Wiener, right? So yeah, because maybe here we can make a connection. Uh, I I remember that he was 
defining cybernetics as the scientific study uh, of control and, and communications, mm -hmm. so in the animal and the machine. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's true that we are we see all this organic character mm -hmm. in your installation, mm -hmm. but where is actually like the the, the animal part, so <laughs> to say, like the, the 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 this relation between like the human on one side and the non-human on the other? Yeah, is there like living beings there? Um, I think the the so the the presence of animals or insects uh, in Tafa. Uh, are also the trace of the residue of this uh, organically biology and and they appear by different ways, uh, such such as uh, imprint molding or uh, by video and um, yeah and for example the the technique uh, which consists to take the impression of an object uh, or an animal by the uses of the latex for me is the same as uh, in painting with the, the impressionism so i cannot like confiscate from its state of nature so that's why i just can't imprint it like make an impression of uh, which i can extrapolate reproduction which Uh, scrambled by each multiplication from its uh, origin form and it's like you know th themselves are the residues of them themselves like uh, like technological residues uh, also like uh, fossil uh, found uh, on rocks and uh, maybe uh, the <laughs> the presence uh, because the, the human presence on Tafa is uh, everywhere but is is uh, is is everywhere but i cannot uh, uh, put this like frontally so i use some um, uh, chemin de traverse and i can only just control the the randomness you know of the information uh, they contain and um, and maybe compared to the cybernetics which is uh, present on the, the the structure of tafa i i use also the the randomness integrated on this complex system as the last, for me, relevant uh, tool of the living because we are going toward an extension of the sort of confiscation of the domain of the random to go toward uh, like a synthetic randomness. Right, yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned the idea of fossils. Yeah. Um, as if, you know, your work, you kind of like your work is a prediction of this long lasting impact that all of this technology is going to have. Because there is kind of like this uh, predictability also that's a huge part of the work. And also this idea of, uh, I mean, of this, this element of chance as well. This element of chance. Of chance, yeah. I mean, yeah. that like there is a, yeah, that it's, I mean, it's kind of a gamble, you know, because mm -hmm. it's like this to it's imagine, hazard, exactly, so. <laughs> to imagine the consequences of the, of the, of the technology on, on the, on the scale of a fossil also, I think yeah. is something really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it, and it's that, but really I, uh, for me, it's important to like, uh, to, to mix um, this, uh, this temporality uh, under this eye of this uh, sort of uh, fossil or, or uh, residue, I call it residue or, 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 or also like relic, you know, it's, it's maybe, but mm -hmm. more like, uh, it's not, uh, Yeah, relic, I think it's a good word to, 
to to see uh, all this uh, uh, object on the installation and and the installation and sculpture itself. Yeah, because then the work is not just research and commentary on the technology, but it kind of creates its own narrative and yeah. it, it like kind of enters the realm of storytelling in that way. Yeah. <laughs> and when we speak about like the presence of human in your installation, uh, it's uh, funny because I think that the, the most striking present is the visitor itself, <laughs> who is like uh, going exactly. around and visiting it because actually as another visitor, you can't make abstraction of the other human being there. So it's kind of a, an immersive experience. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you see it uh, how, as a complex system as well in the sense that you plan that the human should be part of it? Do you think about like where the, the visitor should stand in the exhibition? Should what? I did not understand. Should stand. Should, should stand, should be positioned. Ah. So to, to, to look at this installation, it should kind be of like a, more in this point of the room or... The choreography of the visitor. Ah, yeah. Know. No, I think... Yeah. Um, exactly. Uh, I know that... Uh, so, um, yeah, for the place of the human in, in this work, uh, um, I think um, I have this... Um, this image, um, like for for the for the place huh, of the human in Tafa, like uh, where human become human become like a, a, a metaphorical body, um, whose the skin has been totally stretched out like uh, uh, muc mucus mucus and formed into like a, a symbolic object, uh, the, the relic, and uh, which is constitute uh, this installation. And uh, I think the human um, on the uh, installation, on the exhibition, uh, have to, to be um, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, all the senses uh, uh, is, um, is present because uh, you, you see something, you smell something, you hear something, and, and you, are the relation, you are the extension Uh, as a human in the exhibition, you, are, you, you have to be the extension of this, um, um, yeah, of this system. <laughs> yes, we will put a lot of pictures online of your, your different works and installation, yeah. but it's true that it is uh, important for, the, for, for our auditors to know that your works with this latex have a, a special taste, so to say, because yeah. we smell it like Completely. everywhere. Yeah. So you can't, yeah, so that is as well part of the signa your signature, I will say. You have a re really, really precise way of working that is recognizable like everywhere in the world. The scent <laughs> of Chloé Delarue's work. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Thanks a lot, Chloé. It will be as well a good question to know if Chloé's independent system as network that she staged in her installation have a consciousness. Even harder to know if it's a happy or an unhappy consciousness. But maybe we will find out with a little bit of imagination while hearing Philip review on an essential essay by Yukui. So tell us more about it, Philip. <laughs> Thank you. 
The West is in decline once again, and the Enlightenment, which has informed Western thought for centuries, gets a bad rap, writes Yuk Hui in his essay on the unhappy consciousness of neo-reactionaries for Eflux Journal. Yuk Hui is trained in computer engineering and philosophy at the University of Hong Kong and Goldsmiths College in London, and since 2012 he teaches at the Institute of Philosophy and Art at the Leuphana University in Lüneburg. Among his many publications are the monographs The Question Concerning Technology in China, an essay in Cosmotechnics, and most recently Recursivity and Contingency. Hui's focus is on the philosophy of technology, and that's why he is predestined to take apart the thought of what he calls the neo-reactionaries. They are not a fixed political entity, but more like a train of thought favored by some of the Silicon Valley elites. One of their figureheads is tech entrepreneur and libertarian thinker Peter Thiel. He was also a member of US President Donald Trump's transition team. Thiel claimed in a presentation that 9-11 marked the defeat of Enlightenment thought. The firm belief in the obsolescence of Enlightenment is a defining feature of neo-reaction. However, this is not a thing that the Silicon Valley tech scene has invented. The roots of this thought run deep. In fact, they can be traced as far back as the 90s, namely to Nick Land. The British philosopher's essays from the 1990s read like a mixture of Gilles Deleuze and H.P. Lovecraft, and Land gathered a cult following among young academics in the UK. He was influential for the so-called accelerationists, who believe that capitalism comes with inherent flaws Eventually, he disappeared from the public, moved to China, and adopted a line of thought that is closer to the extreme right. Listen to this excerpt from a BBC documentary from 1994 that I found. There is a very similar pattern that you find in the structure of societies, in the structure of companies, and in the structure of computers. And all three are moving in the same direction. That is, away from a top-down structure of a central command system, giving the system instructions about how to behave, towards a system that is parallel, that is flat, which is a web, and which change moves from the bottom up. And this is going to happen across all institutions and technical devices. It's the way they work. Arguably, parts of Land's prophecy have come true, and it is easy to see why his thoughts are still appealing. Keep in mind that he said these things a long time before the web 2.0, before user-generated content, and a long time before the majority of people even had internet access. Nick Land's thought is about decentralization. It is all in the vein of anarcho-capitalism and libertarianism. To break out of universalism, that is, the world of enlightenment, of democracy, well, that's a pet idea of the neo-reactionaries. We all just have to take the red pill to see that our universalist, enlightened belief systems are constructed. Very much like the simulated world in the movie Matrix. This is the iconic scene that the red pill refers to. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? that you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. You take the blue pill, the story ends, 
You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This universalism never existed, not even as a simulation. Actually, it is a European product that has been exported into the world as a means to exert colonial power. For example, China had to undergo forced modernization after it lost the, the Opium Wars against the British in the mid-19th century. Note the difference. This is not universalism, but universalization brought to the non-Western world via colonialization and globalization. The exoticizing gaze of Western modernizers is over, and might be reversed soon. The fear of that is expressed quite clearly when US President Trump's, Trump accuses China of destroying American economy. The thought that the West is in decline is a motif dear to reactionaries, and the first thing that has to go, according to them, is enlightenment. Huli wants to unpack the ideology that has been welded together somewhere between Silicon Valley capitalism and Deleuze, and this is where the unhappy consciousness comes in, a concept he borrows from the mainstay of German idealist philosophy, Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. It describes the tragic moment when you recognize a contradiction in what you have perceived. The whole turns out to be fragmented, hence the unhappy consciousness. But like in every philosophy seminar, you wonder, why bring Hegel in? Maybe Huey underestimates the new reaction when he plays Hegel's dialectical trick on them. It is to be doubted that Land doesn't know that enlightenment is a fragmented thing. And moreover, it is clear that such moves don't bother the new reactionaries, since in Europe and in the US their thought has long since become a force on the political scene, and they don't mind being proven wrong. Yukui's piece on the unhappy consciousness of neo-reactionaries has been published on the website of EFLUX in April 2017. Thanks for listening to the show. This was Unraveled, the ADVAC podcast. The show is hosted by Bernard Vienna, Philippe Henda, and Nina Kettiger, myself. It is produced by ADVAC. Our theme song and jingle were produced by artist and musician Laura Katsawa. As we're starting new with the podcast, please send comments and suggestions to unraveled at art-verk.ch. Verk is written W-E-R-K. You can find all images of the works and informations discussed in this episode on our page www.art-verk.ch. If you would like to advertise or sponsor one episode, please write at contact at art